Hello, welcome to the Healthy for Men podumentary series. My name's Tom Rowley. I'm the editor of Healthy for Men magazine. Before we get going, just a quick partnership announcement. This episode is brought to you by Bounce Foods. Now, Bounce's mission is to inspire positive change in the way people eat, think, and live, which is what the Healthy for Men podumentary series is all about. If you haven't tried Bounce Balls before, they're full of high-quality protein, high-quality vitamins and minerals, and they're great for when you're on the go and you need a quick snack. There's also a vegan option called V-Life, which are made from almonds and plant protein. Super tasty, super convenient. Grab a bounce ball from any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK or visit bouncefoods.com for more information. Hello, thank you for downloading this bonus episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series in association with Holland and Barrett. My name is Tom Rowley, I'm the editor of Healthy for Men magazine, and today we will be speaking to Hugh Davies, who is a zero-carb carnivore. Um, if you haven't heard the second episode of our podumentary series called Should I Go Vegan, uh, you'll recognise Hugh Davies, who shared his insight into the world of carnivory and zero-carbing. Hugh is a strength and conditioning coach who eats only animal products and swears by the benefits. Uh, He thinks it will give him prolonged longevity, uh, more energy and more strength and endurance, essentially, without carbs at all. Uh, As a big advocate, though, of all things that grow from the earth uh, and all those beautiful vitamins, fibre, plant proteins, etc., I try not to clash too much with Hugh, uh, but rather let him have the space to express his views so we can understand why someone might might go full carnivore. Hugh, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us today. My pleasure. So what we're going to talk about is uh, a a diet, basically. Uh, A diet that is, it seems quite underground, I would say. It's, It's on the fringes. Uh, because the popular diets these days tend to move towards lots of vegetables or plant, plant-based plant diets. Can you tell us a little bit about your diet? Sure. I eat predominantly meat. I call myself a zero carber. Um, I wouldn't call myself a, a carnivore yet because I still eat uh, eggs and cheese. But apart from the eggs and the cheese, um, I think it's just meat. So there you go. So zero, zero. My my goal is every day to eat zero carbs, and um, since I'm relatively new to it, um, I'll, my end my end point will be just meat. I hope that's an interesting point because I would have presumed that as a carnivore you'd be able to eat eggs and cheese and things like that. But maybe that's a stupid presumption. But um, as the products of animals, sure. I mean, carnivores in in the wild, for example, would eat. Steal an egg, wouldn't they? Definitely have eggs. Yeah, yeah. Cheese, cheese um, still has lactose in it, and that may be problematical for some people. I don't think I have personally any problems eating cheese, but I'd like I'd like to experiment with. Um, you know, a lot of people do a thirty day pure meat e- eating test to see if there are any improvements in things like body composition or mood or. Um, aches and pains, those sorts of things. And, and, and if, if it works, then they tend to stick to it. And if it doesn't work, then they maybe go back to eating bits of cheese and things like that, yeah. Right, okay. So you're um, level three strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, a triathlon coach, yeah. Triathlon and a kettlebell coach. instructor as well. 
Okay, fantastic. So, so I spend my, my working time swinging kettlebells or helping people um, do triathlons and mm. get fit, lose weight, all that, all that kind of stuff. Do you put diets in place for people as well? When they ask me to, yes. So I don't push anything um, ever. Um, but when they ask me for uh, recommendations, then I do. Okay. Would you better talk us through uh, a day in the life of, of Hugh and, and regarding your meals? Sure. So um, I don't eat in the morning, so I'll have a, a, a cup of coffee. And then I usually work out with a client or by myself if, if a client is not one of my... Some clients I, I will do a workout with, mm -hmm. uh, especially my kettlebell clients. Uh, other clients I might just do a little bit of mobility as they're doing their mobility and then look at them while they're running, you know, repeats or that, that, that kind of stuff. Um, but usually my mornings are physically very, very demanding, if, mm -hmm. especially if I've got to run to the park where I coach do the session, come home, do my own session. So by by about one o'clock, I'm, I'm ready to eat. And then I will um, put together a pan of, um, well, it, it varies. It might be a mixture of minces, like some beef mince or some lamb mince, pork mince, eggs, bacon, um, grate some cheese in there, add another egg, put some more butter in, see if there's enough butter, put some more butter in, add another egg, a bit mm. more cheese, until the pile looks big enough and cook it through, scrape it onto a plate and enjoy. Wow. And then, uh, you know, that's that'll be a, ma a massive... I'll be hungry and ready for it. I'll have a m big plate of, of, of meat and fats and protein. And, and then um, similar, I'll probably eat again about, about 8 o'clock after I've seen to my children. I'll do the same thing. So that's two, two meals a day? Pretty much. Of, two pretty big meals a day, yeah. Of pure meat. So, I mean, that yeah. sounds like the dream to a lot of people. It is. I'm living the dream, <laughs> Tom. I'm living the dream. So could you uh, explain to us the, the method behind the madness, as it were? Okay, the rationale. The rationale, yes. Well, um, in the carnivore community, we regard it as simply just the food that humans have evolved to eat. Um, and all the evidence, um, biological, currently in our own bodies right now, there are things there that point to us being carnivores. Um, archaeological evidence as well um, points to um, humans really having evolved as carnivores. And um, those, those are, the two, those are the, two, the two main areas. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's textual evidence as well of what, what sort of were rewards in, um, in ancient civilizations. You know, um, meat was very highly prized. Living off the fat of the land was, is a phrase that dates from, you know, time immemorial, showing that we, we've evolved to eat fat. Um, the clues in our body are things like the gallbladder. Um, uh, mammals have gallbladders, but only only carnivores have gallbladders. So uh, herbivores don't have gallbladders. Gallbladders are there to um, secrete concentrated bile to deal with large amounts of fat, um, and that you know that's pretty much a proof that that we you know, tigers, lions, dogs have gallbladders. Um, cows, uh, yaks, and all those don't have gallbladders, and, and we have a gallbladder and. Uh, that's kind of the carnivore thing. Same, same with glycogen storage. Um, we, and as a coach, this is something that really bugged me over the years when I was learning my trade as, as a coach, and especially coaching endurance athletes. We, we have a very short supply of glycogen stored in our livers. Um, 
maybe if you're lucky, two and a half thousand calories worth of circulating and stored glycogen, uh, which, which will run out in th about three hours. Now, there's no evolutionary advantage to that. Yet in, in fat calories, we have even a very lean person has 40,000, around about 40,000 calories stored available, if, if you are adapted to do so, available for many, many, many days worth of, of movement. So if you, if you think about our ancestral um, tribes, if you like, needing to walk over a mountain range, uh, find find something in the next valley, carry children, move a whole tribe over many days without necessarily finding food to eat. That makes sense that you would use uh, fat, and uh, and if you only had two hours worth of fuel, you'd, we'd all be dead. So there's an, there's another very strong point of evidence in our in our modern physiology that points to us being fat eaters and and, and um, Carnivores. I suppose the question is for me, at what point do you, is it an imperative to use that evolutionary evidence uh, as a way to dictate how we should be these days? So, I mean, obviously there are lots of things that animals are left over with from evolution that they don't need anymore. Uh, and I think that's a question for, that people would have is, at what point is it an imperative to look at that and say, this is what this is what I need to do. This is what I need to entail. I need to eat meat. If you're able to live on vegetables and, and other things, then, then why would you come to that conclusion? That's, that's a good question. And I, I, I think that um, I, I personally am not massively dogmatic about um, carnivory because um, it's... it's uh, it possibly not tried and tested, uh, especially if you don't subscribe to that really powerful ev evolutionary message. Um, I th but I think w what we do know is is that um, nature doesn't plan for the long term. As long as you get to the age where you can procreate and then you procreate and pass on your DNA, nature's done with you then. You're done. You know, you can die, that's fine. So nature doesn't think long term. So if you if you can get to that point eating vegetables, nature doesn't mind. Your DNA doesn't mind. But we are cursed with brains which are which force us to think long term sometimes. So the 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 difference I'd say is is that you can if you're able to think long term and you want to optimize, then probably carnivory is a very good choice. If if you're if you're if you don't care about a, a healthy old age then a heavily plant-based diet will probably get you into all sorts of trouble when you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s. And therefore, if you're able to think that far and think about how you might be, and you have a, a choice and a fork in the road where you can say, I'll go down the carnivory path and all, all things being well, I'll, I'll be healthy when I'm 80. And I'll go down the vegan path or the plant-based path. And all evidence shows seems to point to the fact that I'll be less less healthy when I'm 80. So for, for me, that's a no-brainer. You know, I've got young kids. I want to be around when they're in their 20s and 30s. I don't want to be in a wheelchair with a, with a broken hip and, and no teeth, you know. Of course. So the, the main benefit of, of making meat your primary source of, of nutrition you believe is, is longevity? I, th I think long-term health, yes. And all, all my personal, um, you know, I, I've spent time as a vegetarian. I've even spent a brief moment as a vegan when I was sharing a house with some vegans. Um, I've been a, a carb monster when I was a, a competitive triathlete myself. You know, I fueled it all on carbs, um, just as everyone did, you know. Um, and 
being able to, uh, and then I've done the the um, reducing grains. I've done a ketogenic diet as well, um, and they've all been steps towards getting down to zero carb. And having, I'm in a position where I can compare all those phases of my life, and I can kind of remember how I felt in my body. Bear, bearing in mind that I've been doing, you know, decent level of sport all my life since the age of sort of nine or ten. Then right now, today. Uh, with about a year of zero carbon, I, I think I possibly feel the best I felt in my whole life. Wow, that's excellent. yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I don't think I've got any aches and pains to speak of, mm. you know. And, and as an ex rugby player, I have plenty, you know. Um, my my mood seems to get better and better every day. Mm. The, the less I <laughs> the less I eat carbs, um, my energy levels are, are really good. Um, I want to train more. I do a hard kettlebell session and sometimes in the afternoon I, I think I don't feel like I've done enough. I'll do a little bit more, you know, but my body's asking me to. Do you think that's because you've got this great storage of protein and fats to use rather than uh, carbs, which essentially will be used a lot quicker? So... Um, the, um, the, the, one of the main things about not eating carbohydrates when you train hard is that um, there's a lot less oxidation and oxidation leads to inflammation. So when a, 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 someone eating a typical Western diet trains hard, they experience um, often high levels of soreness and, and maybe inflammation that lasts possibly two or three or four days um, and, and inhibits training and, and with um, I, I can't really get into the actual biology of it because I'm a bit sketchy of it but you, sure. you, you have HUFA highly unsaturated fatty acids and there is, they, they sit in the membranes and um, they don't get oxidised if you are eating a high-fat, high-protein diet, and this is one of the contributors to inflammation and soreness. So basically, your, oxida your, your oxidative levels are much lower on this diet than on a carbohydrate diet, with the result that you you, you, there's less stressed cells to be repaired, um, and you, you feel less pain and you're able to train, train more. And, and most people that I'm aware of in, in the world of carnivory who, who train fairly hard report... As, as I do, just lower levels of muscle soreness after a hard session, you know. And I've done enough hard sessions to know in, in my time that should have left me feeling sore. My God, I did an extra 50 press-ups then and normally my chest would be screaming at me the next day and I, don't, I just don't get that. You know? I've got to say, because um, obviously the people listening to this won't be able to see you, you, you look great, you're in a fantastic shape. You've got the muscles going on, <laughs> you know, obviously very lean. Can I ask how old you are? 56. 56, Okay. Blimey. So yes, you're doing very well. I mean, the evidence <laughs> is there, uh, which is which is good. The, I mean, the, the, the problem is, I think, with the logical side of it is that vegans say the same thing. I mean, me, a lot of vegans who sort of, they have their kind of science, um, you know, the sort of well-educated, well-articulate vegans, mm -hmm. and they justify it with, um, with selected people pieces of science that they For come sure. across. And I suppose that's how most things work. It's, um, you know, um, uh, bias, selective bias, isn't it? Confirmation uh, bias. Confirmation bias, that's yeah. what I was looking for, yeah. Um, are you wary of that at all? I mean, do you want to, have you wanted to justify this to yourself? Or has the route 
led you on to this quite objectively and, and without bias? Well, you'd like, I'd like to think so, because I've been through many so many steps myself of vegetarianism, a little bit of vegan, high carb, um, low carb, ketogenic. You know, I've, 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 if any of those had been optimal, I think I would have stayed there. Um, so just speaking for myself, I think I found where I want to be. I feel great on it. Like I say, I feel the best I've ever felt possibly, you know, in, in my whole life. Um, and... I have two small children and they take a lot of energy. So um, I manage to coach my clients and deal with my children. And, and I, so I don't feel my energy levels suffer. So, um, so I can only speak for myself. And, and then the other voices that I see in the, in the various carnivore communities say tend to say similar things. So anecdotally, um, it, it, it's all good. Um, so the, whether whether what the science says, you, you you can never you can never be a hundred percent sure of anyway, because nutritional science is is such a flawed area. And I was chatting to you earlier about how um, many of the paradigms that we a lot of people regard as received wisdom have come from quite bad areas in terms of bad science and and um, personal gain and. There are people in the 60s and 70s conducting experiments and then cherry-picking the results to, to, to condemn saturated fat, for example, is, is the, one of the biggest uh, issues there. So I'm a little bit wary of the science sometimes. Uh, then the, the, main, the main factor with, with the science is that people are willing to conflate epidemiological research with clinical research. In other words, when an epidemiological study shows correlation, they are willing to interpret that as causation. Okay. So, and in the field of nutrition, it's particularly difficult to do randomized clinical trials where you can objectively prove, it, as far as you possibly can, that a certain food stuff has a certain effect. Totally. So um, the causation fallacy, we were talking about this quite recently. It's, it's uh, the vegan studies make quite a poignant point because vegan people who go vegan, generally speaking, uh, are willing to have more healthier diets and they make healthier choices because they've made a leap into a, a sort of a quite strict and restrictive area mm. of nutrition. So when you study a, a group of vegans, you're also studying probably more healthier people. Non-smokers, non-drinkers, exercise a bit more. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Although, although all-cause mortality, when it's adjusted for all those, is actually higher in vegans and vegetarians than in omnivores. Right, that's interesting. Yes, when you when you adjust that, and there's a kind of there's a super interesting point that I came across. So, um, in America, the, there's there are large communities of Seventh Day Adventists. So they they're very staunchly religious people who who have a lot of rules around how how you're supposed to live if you take part in the community and, and their incidence so they've been studied from a dietary point of view and the incidence of heart disease is whatever it is relatively low compared to the general american population mm. uh, cholesterol levels a lot lower um overweight a lot lower obesity non-existent and so on and so forth so they look like a really really healthy group and um i think i've come across anyway vegans pointing to the american seventh day adventist communities as examples of how uh, and they're, they're all strictly vegetarian, by the way. Okay, so they don't drink, they don't smoke. Um, 
they they are forced not to eat meat and and they live a certain lifestyle. So it's very restricted, uh, and, and so they've been. Uh, held up as a shiny example of the benefits of vegetarianism. And then some people started saying, oh, well, but they're on their own. What, what if, what if there was a group of people just like the Seventh-day Adventists, you know, really strictly controlled, not allowed to drink alcohol or have parties, but they ate meat. I wonder what... And then they realised that there were, and they're the Mormons. Mm, yes. Who are the same except they ate meat. So you have a kind of a, a, a random clinically controlled trial going on right there and then of, of course their levels of heart disease and their health markers are all far in excess of the Seventh-day Adventists so they, they have healthier profiles and so the only variable would appear to be meat so um, so, so that's a bit tricky to explain away if you're if you're uh, keen on on um, clinical trials and you're a vegetarian or, or vegan absolutely vegan. yeah so what about the, I mean, this is something that you, I'd imagine that you come across quite often, but uh, the general vegan argument is no matter what we talk about nutrition and everything, it is, okay, cool, but is it not better to not kill animals and live, even if, say, take it for granted that you are healthier if you eat dairy products and meat, um, is it not still better to not cause that pain mm. to other living beings? Mm. Uh, how do you feel about that? So, you, so what? What animals are we talking about? Um, the ones that we can see, or the ones we can't see? The ones that we are made aware of by media campaigns, or the other billions and billions of creatures who are being extincted by um, mono annual crops all over the world? You know, so so the, what's going on there is that every time um, a farmer clears some land in the Amazon rainforest to, to plant soy to to feed the American market, for example, somewhere from the Amazon, that acre, that individual acre of land, then uh, spells the end of life for many, 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 many creatures. They may not be warm, furry, warm-blooded furry creatures that we can cuddle the puppy or calf of, but they're, they're creatures and billions of them are being ex ex killed or you know driven to extinction on a daily basis because we know that the um the right now i i believe anyway more of the rainforest is being cleared for soy production than for what used to be called burger production i.e you know cattle cattle lots so and and ironically soy is one of the mainstays of the vegan diet soy milk tofu etc etc so um you know you could argue that veganism is actually responsible for much greater levels of of animal death than um than, than carnivory it's especially since you know we domesticated cattle don't have um a, a knock-on effect in the food chain so if if you if you remove um many millions of insects from a couple of acres of forest, the knock-on effects about the, the, the animals that live on those insects are going to struggle and, and so on and so on up, up, up the food chain. And um, not, not only that, but the pesticides will most likely kill some more. Um, the effects on the ecosystem are huge. huge. Does, no matter what you know, tiny yeah, change you make. Completely, completely. So, you know, I just read a really nice article recently saying the most vegan food on earth is um, some pastured cattle, pastured rump steak or ribeye rib steak off a cow that's been sitting that's in a beautiful field, you know, surrounded by 
buttercups and insects and little birds and all the all the creatures underground and the topsoil let's not forget mm-hmm. you know the, the earth itself has very little topsoil left and it's topsoil that gives us life not um dried out um pesticide ridden monocrop piece of earth you know uh-huh. <laughs> sorry i'm ranting but no, no, it's, uh, it's, i feel strongly it's, about i feel quite strongly about this aspect of it because this is what is often used to support veganism Absolutely, yeah. and and um i th- i think as far as i see it that the underlying truth is is far more damaging to the earth than trying to get a perennial culture um with pastured pastured uh, animals plus all the vegetation that's going to stay on the land mm. the other thing we need to remember is that not all land on earth is arable not all land on earth is arable you can't grow soy on a mountainside but you can graze sheep there you know uh, there's this assumption if you live in the middle of America, where I guess a lot of vegans live, that the land is there to be to be used up for you, for your soy, for your grain, for your corn, and it's flat and fertile if you put enough fertilizers That's on it. That's the narrative, isn't it? The, yeah, the general American uh, sort of. In, 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 I'm not going to slag them off, but that sort of entitlement to. Yeah. Land, yeah, 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 yeah. Whose land? Whose land is it? Is it? Is it my land? As a, as a um, I, I want to keep it for the bison, yeah. or do I want to get the bison off there, plant some corn and some soy in there, and, and then have it on my cereal in the have soy milk on my wheat <laughs> wheat So this is something we need to carefully think about. Is from a utilitarian point of view, do we believe then that if we promote the vegan lifestyle, the plant-based lifestyle, it will have a more detrimental effect on the earth and on the animals, on the ecosystem than if we continue farming animals. Uh, it's difficult to be completely dogmatic about it, but that seems to be that seems to be how how it's heading. You can't quantify it. it it's hard to quantify, but it it seems to be um, the way it's heading, and it's unfortunate because. Um, it's a narrative, isn't it? And and uh, people are very much taken in by the um, the feeling that the narrative provides for them. The warm feeling of uh, I feel like I'm being ethical. I feel like I'm feeding the world better That's by confirmation bias, isn't it? That's it. And also, there's there's not a lot of um, stuff out there to tell people who are trying to commit themselves to a plant based diet that is the least healthy option you know, according to, <laughs> I know there's argument about that, but, you know, in, in, in my mind, and I think in the minds of more and more people, it is the least healthy option. Yeah. So would you advise people carefully, perhaps, would you advise people to think about a carnivorous diet? I've tried veganism, I've tried vegetarianism, and, and there's no harm in saying to a vegan, well, why don't you try eating meat for a month? It's it's quid pro quo, isn't it? I spent a lot more than a month as a vegetarian and probably a lot more than a month as a vegan back in my early 20s. And, um, you know, and, and everything that I've done from a nutritional point of view, I love to experiment. I, I like to take things out and put things in and, and see what happens um, in my, my mood and my muscles and that sort of thing. So um, I've, I've been there with ketogenic diets and all sorts. So, so vegans... Go on a meat-only diet for a month, you know, and see what happens. Why not? I've tried everything. You try it, yeah. you know, without the grains, without the um, the soy milk, without without the porridge, you know. 
without the salads. I think it's going to take quite a stretch to to convince uh, most vegans to do that, but uh, I think it's a good shout, and I think that's the most uh, empirical way of deciding whether what, you know what is good for you. Try it. Just try it. Try it. Give it a good go. You know um, the. Uh, and I think we, we wanted to talk a little bit about training and sport as well. And, and uh, uh, just on that note, there's there's um, one of the massive fallacies about uh, the, the tension between carbs and fat as a, as a fuel source is that there are loads of studies which which um, show that athletes perform less well with uh, fat source. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, it takes probably a minimum of two weeks to become what's called keto adapted for your, for your body to be producing enough ketones for you then to apply them as fuel to um, do the same level of exercise as you would have done before that. So to benefit it, you have to adapt to it you have to You have to be patient. You have to allow your body to make those adaptations. When it has made the adaptations, you will be amazed at how much better everything works. However, no one in, in science ever either willfully or misguidedly, who knows, seeing as some of those studies will have been done by with money from Gatorade and Coca-Cola. So you can draw your own conclusions. But if you take some athletes and, and you know, run them to exor- exhaustion on, an en- uh, you know, um, on themselves, on an energy drink and on a fat diet, all on day one, you'll see that the people on the fat diet will perform really badly. Take all all those three same athletes and and um, the, have the have the the the, the non one the non uh, the, the control and then have the carb guy also as a control and then get the the fat guy on a fat diet for four weeks and then and then see what happens and and then that's when the magic happens that's when you you find your uh, reserves of endurance and your swift recoveries and your clear mental state and all those wonderful things. Brilliant. So you're. Uh, are you a practicing triathlete now? Do you not now? That? No, I coach. I, I coach my athletes, and um, I I make sure that I do a kettlebell workout every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have my own goals that I'm 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 moving towards. So to keep me honest, so you know, certain tests and certain benchmark workouts to make. make How sure. long do you think you'll be training for? I don't know. For the, I hope for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I can see myself swinging kettlebells till I'm in my eighties. I reckon. Good to hear. Do you miss vegetables at all? So that's it. I mean, a lot of a lot of people um, ask ask that question, you know, and and really not, really not. I'm never tempted by anything, never. Uh, and I haven't had any, you know, um, in the in the communities, the carnivore communities on social media. There are a lot of people who have been severely carb dependent. I know, I imagine I was, and and they sometimes have cravings. You get cravings for for carbs in the early stages. Um, I think having gone through ketogenic eating for quite a while, um, and so eating at about below 50 grams of carbs a day for, for quite some time, I think that you, you can't eat any of the sugary food anyway. You know, 50, 50 grams of carb a day is about, um, you know, it's not even two bananas. So you, ha- you have to be very careful about what you, you eat in terms of carbs. And once you've done that for a while, then... You're good, you know, you, you don't get any cravings. Yeah. Have you ever had, I mean, it's quite a, a passionate topic for a lot of people, diets, generally speaking, uh, especially when we're talking about, you know, animal products or non-animal products. Have you ever had um, conflict with, with someone that, that you found difficult to deal with? No, I don't think so. Um, no, I haven't. Um, 
my, my experience with the carnival groups as well uh, on, online is everyone's really calm and quiet and accepting and tolerant. Um, there's no digital shrieking or, or um, anything like that. And occasionally you'll get a post pointing out how the opposite has been happening in, in, a, in a vegan group um, or a vegetarian group. There was, um, there was a case where a girl asked for um, a tofu recipe on a, on a vegan group. And when it transpired that she wasn't actually a vegan, they told her to get off and also to stop eating tofu because... You can't eat it if you're not a vegan. That's interesting. That one came. That one came up on a, on a, on our feed, and yeah, I don't know how typical that is, but I don't think it's atypical. Do you think that the carnival community is going to increase as uh, the vegan community also increases? Because I mean, the stats are showing that people, more and more people, are going vegan. Mm. Do you think the same is going to happen with carnivorism? It's polarization, isn't it? Mm. That's the that's the, thing. the left grows, the right grows. Yeah, so it, it it could work like that. The middle the middle becomes um, a little bit bankrupt, so to speak. I, I don't think anyone's under any illusion, for example, that, that grains are bad for you these days. Probably, I think more and more people are aware of that. So that's in the middle. So then, I, I guess it's a question: if you move away from grains to more plant based, mm. uh, or you move away from grains to more meat based. I think the um, the zeitgeist is more plant at the moment, isn't it? But um, who knows? Who knows? Well, it's, it'll be interesting to see where it does go. Um, but Hugh, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us. It's fascinating. Really, my um, pleasure. Uh, you know, you've given us such an insight into, as I say, quite a, a diet that's been on the fringes for a while. And I think that a lot of people uh, will make their judgments of, of that. Uh, and, and those judgments will be very uh, uh, ill-conceived, should we say so. Thank you very much for, for letting us into your world and, and explaining that. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Hugh and perhaps you learned something about zero carbing and carnivory. Uh, if you haven't already, please listen to the second episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series called Should I Go Vegan? In that episode, we speak to Hugh. Uh, we also speak to a dietitian, a nutritionist, a vegan bodybuilder, uh, and a pig farmer to learn exactly what it means to go vegan and what the benefits are and perhaps what some of the pitfalls are as well. Also, please pick up your copy of Healthy for Men magazine in any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK. Uh, we also explore more in the magazine about going low carb, uh, going low fat, going low calorie, uh, and how to master each one to benefit you the most and not suffer uh, from missing out on any vitamins, minerals, and nutrition that you might be getting from other foods. I've been Tom Rowley. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time on the Healthy for Men podumentary series.